he said, quote, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Wise words right there. And also on the flip side, that's definitely not to downplay mental illness and issues that Kanye and others are dealing and struggling with. Those are absolutely real things. Things that need and should be worked on by medical professionals, psychological professionals, spiritual professionals. I'm just saying for us, the audience, the peanut gallery, always seeming to need to chime in our two cents about how the other man or woman is doing. It's, it's a disservice to ourselves. What's up, what's up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Sponsored Podcast, the only podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 203 of the Sponsored Podcast, and in this episode, I speak about watching Ozark Season 4, Part 1. I also speak about watching Genius, a Kanye West trilogy. And I also speak about watching Cobra Kai season four and finally wrap up with another addition to the goats doing goat shit segment of this podcast stick around for all that good stuff and more but first before we get into the episode i want you to listen to a way that you can help support this show your support means the world to me and absolutely positively helps me free up time to be able to create more content more episodes of this podcast it allows me to write more and ultimately create more content that hopefully you deem worthy of consuming. So here's a way you can help support the Spun Today podcast if you so choose. Support the Spun Today podcast by following me on social at Spun Today on Twitter, at Spun Today on Instagram. Please also check out and like my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Spun Today and subscribe to my YouTube page as well. On my YouTube page, not only will you get these full-length episodes, but you'll also get to check out some chopped up clips and bonus content. To get to my YouTube page, just search Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on the footer of my website. Also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening. It really does help. Ozark. This is definitely a show that I'm going to be sad to see go. It's currently in its final season, and the final season is split into two parts. Part one is out now, as well as the three previous seasons, all available for you to watch on Netflix. Part two of season four, which will wrap up this series finale, is set to air and be available on April 29th, this spring, 2022. I'm not the biggest fan of when shows decide to split the final season because it feels like you're getting less bang for your buck and getting like less episodes and then having to wait usually just as long as it would take between normal seasons and then they tend to wrap up with a quantity of shows that leaves you wanting but in this case for ozark at least we got seven full episodes for part one and we're getting seven full episodes for part two So technically, as a season, we're getting more episodes than a normal season. That and the fact that we don't have to wait like a year 
for the second half. It's just a couple months since part one started airing in January and part two is going to air in April. So those two things make me not mad at it. And for me now, I'm even happier that I had to wait and didn't get around to watching the series when it dropped in January. And I literally just wrapped it up like last week. So it's only about a month wait for me. Anyways, dope show that I highly recommend. Let me jump into some takeaways and dope moments from this past season. But first, as always, let me start with the official synopsis for the season. Freedom from the cartel is seemingly within reach, but fraying familial bonds may prove to be the bird's ultimate undoing. Netflix always has like the shortest synopses ever. Synopses or synopsises. Anyway, moving on, let's give a shout out to the writers of the series. Starting with Whit Anderson, Michael M. Chang, Laura Dealey, Bill Dubuque, Ryan Farley, Allison Feltz, Jed Rapp Goldstein, Mickey Johnson, Paul Colesby, David Manson, Chris Mundy, John Shiban, Mark Williams, Ning Zhu, and Martin Zimmerman. Shout out to all the writers of this amazing season and this amazing series. And now without further ado, let's jump into a few scenes and takeaways from this season that resonated with me. This is not meant to be a comprehensive recap and review of the season, just some anecdotes sprinkled throughout the series in no particular order that resonated with me and I wanted to share with you. There's this character in the series named Sam Dermody, played by Kevin L. Johnson. And he plays like a pushover character that's very naive. And it seems like every other character in the series just uses him to like take advantage of him and use him in some way. And in that capacity, when Ruth Langmore's character, played by Julia Garner, needs someone to quote unquote manage a hole in the wall motel that she purchased to be able to launder money through, she sought him out to be that manager because she needed someone dumb who wasn't going to ask questions or catch on to anything that was going on. But he has this dope scene with the character Kerry Stone, played by Eric Layden, who plays this celebrity chef character in the show that is a high roller, gambles a lot, and Ruth met him when she used to work at Marty Bird's casino. Marty Bird, played by the incredible Jason Bateman, who has also directed, I think, like upwards of a dozen episodes throughout the series. But she met this celebrity chef character while she was working there, and she had an idea to use him and his connects to sell heroin to. Because Ruth has since gone off on her own and partnered up with Darlene Snell, played by Lisa Emery. Anyway, long story short, Kerry Stone is in town to test the product, and he stays at this hole-in-the-wall motel after an almost near-death overdose experience the night before. When he's leaving, the naive pushover character Sam, you know, he's behind the counter, Kerry's uh, checking out, and he asks if he can ask him a question. And he asks him if he knows how to make paella. And the celebrity chef guy is kind of like thrown off a little bit, you know, just almost died the night before. This guy is very awkwardly, weirdly asking him about paella, but he humors him. And Sam gives him the stories like, you know, my ex-girlfriend, you know, I made her paella and I went all out and I got, you know, fresh, great ingredients and 
her response to me was that it didn't taste like authentic paella that she has had before. And this celebrity chef is just sit, you know, sitting there kind of dumbfounded listening to him. And but again, humors him. And he's like, all right, tell me about the ingredients you used. Did you get fresh peppers from the market? And Sam responds, yeah, I did. And onions and herbs and spices. Yeah, 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 it's all of that. And did you put chicken in it and sausage in it and beef in it? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. And he lists out like a bunch of ingredients. And Sam is like responding affirmatively. And he's like, in his head, Sam said, he's like, yeah, yeah, I did all that. I did all that right, right? Then the chef takes a pause and he says, you're fucking smothering it. And he walks away. And I just thought that was a dope scene. And I'm not positive if he said, you're smothering it, as in he's smothering the paella. He's like ODing with everything instead of keeping it simple. Or if he said that he's smothering her, as in, you know, going too above and beyond uh, for his ex. Or if it's just like a double meaning thing, but I thought it was a dope scene. Moving on to Jonah Bird, played by Skylar Gardner. He's about 14 years old, 14, 15 years old in this season. And, you know, definitely in a rebellious teen stage, more so than a normal teen would be, I would say, because he's also kind of like the moral compass of the show in an odd way, because everybody in the show is doing some illegal shit. And that goes to the drug dealers, the drug cartels, the law enforcement that are on the take, politicians that are also on the take, money launderers, fake shell companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. But he kind of like intertwined in his teenage rebellious phase that one goes through around this age. He's a constant reminder to his sister and his parents that, you know, what they're doing is wrong and that they're drug dealers, that the mother had her own brother killed because he was essentially becoming an inconvenience to their business as usual. The mother, Wendy Bird, played by Laura Linnae. And being the youngest one, they kind of like try not to tell him most things, but he finds them out anyway and seems to be like less blinded by what his parents do than the older sister Charlotte Bird, played by Sophia Hublitz. And their roles kind of flipped in that way. Cause at first, the older sister was like, What the fuck? What are you guys doing? And Jonah kind of found it cool. And now it, those roles are a bit more reversed. Charlotte seems to like desperately want the approval of her mother, kind of, you know, being a like team player to get the family through this quote unquote phase that they're going through of money laundering for the cartel so they can get out of that life. Even though season after season, we see that they're getting pulled in deeper and deeper into that life. And Jonah, who's always idolized his father, as young boys do, seems to have felt neglected by his dad and sought the approval of other people, other you know male figures in his life, like his uncle Ben, which was the brother of Wendy Bird. And Ben Davis was played by Tom Pelfrey, who played an amazing role in the previous season. But prior to Ben coming on the show, Jonah gravitated towards uh, Buddy Diker, played by Harris Eulen. And he kind of showed like this pattern, right? But anyway, long story short there, as kind of a, like a fuck you to his parents, especially to his mom, he decided to start laundering himself, which also plays into him like idolizing his father and did so for Ruth and Darlene, which put him that much more at odds 
with his parents and his family because they are technically competing drug dealers to the cartel that Marty and Wendy launder for and work for. But definitely an important takeaway for me was that Marty's character, which by the way is one of the like the dopest characters I've seen in in anything, although he's probably technically a sociopath. I love how calculating and on top of shit he is and how like organized he is with things. But his innate calm in any situation definitely has psychopath vibes. But anyway, Marty's character can't help it but kind of be proud of his son, like following in his footsteps in a way, even though he knows it's wrong and he shouldn't be doing that. But he's kind of proud that he's able to do what he's able to do at 14 years old. And even in the scene with Wendy, He's like, if he's doing this at 14, can you imagine? And she like cuts him off and she's like, do not be fucking proud of him right now. Moving on to another scene with Ruth, which grew on me like crazy, by the way. Like, I think from a casting perspective, her and her cousin, Wyatt Langmore, played by Charlie Sahan, they're like being boom, exactly what you think of when you think of like white trash, just like looks wise. (laughs) <laughs> they're they're like perfect perfectly casted at least like visually there's something about them that just screams trailer park they're able to like pull that off and i've seen julia garner and like other interviews and stuff like that and she like looks like a completely different person so i don't know exactly what it is but they play those roles like so well but initially i was kind of like turned off by her character i don't know what it was like she rubbed me the wrong way obnoxious i guess would be the best way to describe my you know, initial knee-jerk reaction to her, but she definitely grew on me and, and is a character that I root for. And she has this dope mini monologue. I think she's uh, speaking with Jonah and she says that God's a motherfucker. He built me smart enough to know how fucked up my life is, but not quite smart enough to get myself out of it. And that was definitely a dope line that sums up her character perfectly. Something else that I like about Ruth and her character is that she's loyal to a fault. If there is such a thing, especially to Marty. And she just seems to want to be loved and appreciated and held in high regard, you know, like told that she's smart and capable. That seems to me, at least, to be her her main desire. And just a couple more things for you guys here. Darlene is a wild girl. (laughs) She is fucking ruthless. And I guess we knew that fucking season one or two when she killed her own husband at the end because in her eyes he was showing a little bit of weakness and wanting to get out of the the drug game and we saw it a bit in a previous season where frank cosgrove jr's character played by joseph sakura which is the son of the head of the kc mob kansas city mob frank cosgrove played by john bedford lloyd jr roughed up ruth in retaliation for that, Darlene shot him in the dick with a shotgun. <laughs> and, but we see her like ruthlessness just this past season just elevate to new levels. For example, when the the driver of that celebrity chef drove Ruth at the end of the night back to Darlene's and he kind of tried to like strong arm and hint that, oh, uh, you know, I won't tell the cops anything, but, you know, can you guys... You know, increase my pay a little bit for showing loyalty, blah, blah, blah. She like literally just pulled a shotgun and shot him right there. Shot him dead right there. And Ruth and Wyatt had to go bury his body. 
And then similarly, Frank Cosgrove Sr. found out that she was dealing with her son directly, which she manipulated to kind of go against her, his dad's wishes in dealing her heroin and distributing it. And he went up to her ranch to tell her off. And she literally just shot him dead in her living room, the head of the KC Mafia, which by all intents and purposes would have been a fucking suicide request. She was just fucking wild. And Darlene and Wyatt, which is Ruth's younger cousin, is just like the weirdest, oddest couple I've ever seen in anything. But in a strange way, it actually worked. <laughs> Go figure. Now, in terms of Ruthless, we're introduced to a new character this this season, which is Omar Navarro's nephew, Javi Alessandro. Omar Navarro is the head of the Navarro cartel, played by Felix Solis. He is who the main characters of this series are laundering money for. And his nephew, Javi Alessandro, played by Alfonso Herrera, is an overzealous, hot-headed, high-ranking cartel member that will succeed his uncle one day in taking over the entire operation. And if he had it his way, it would have been yesterday. So he's that kind of cat. But we see how ruthless he, he is early, early on. And we also know early on, it's revealed to us that he doesn't like Marty and Wendy, that when his uncle chose them over his previous attorney and like right hand in the States, which was Helen Pierce, his nephew actually wanted him to go the other way and kill Marty and Wendy and continue working with Helen Pierce. And he suspects, rightfully, in some senses, Marty and Wendy double-crossing them somehow, working against them. And we see just like how much he doesn't give a fuck when he just starts showing up at Marty's casino and Marty's house. And then he goes to stay at Helen's house. And he's like, well, you know, she's not going to be using it. And Javi wants Marty and Wendy to have Darlene killed. They're, again, competition in the drug game at least locally. And Marty and Wendy try to downplay it and say, you know, she's not really competition. And also she has the local sheriff on the take. And if they get rid of her, then it'll turn the sheriff on to what they're doing. And it's not good business, et cetera, et cetera. So long story short, the sheriff goes to Helen Pierce's house to see if she's there because there's all season, there's been this private investigator poking around saying that he just wants Helen Pierce to sign some divorce papers he's paid for by the husband of Helen Pierce or ex-husband soon to be. And he's just looking for a signature so he could go back uh, to Chicago. And he's annoyingly poking around all the right places looking for Helen, who was shot in the head previously in Mexico. But nobody knows where she's at. And Javi's smoking and just hanging out in her house. And the sheriff knocks on the door and asks who he is, where's Helen? And he said that he's just house sitting and then he's like, oh, hold on a second. Let me go lower the music. So I can get you her, you know, her contact information to where she's at. And Sheriff Nix, played by Robert C. Travailer, steps into the house, waits for Hobby to lower the music. Hobby comes back and just shoots him dead. And Hobby just represents chaos in this way, just like the disruptor of every plot point that we've grown accustomed to appreciating from Marty's relationship, exclusive relationship with FBI agent Miller 
and him trying to get in between that and sort of kind of figure out what's going on there and kind of disrupt that to killing Sheriff Nix, not trusting Marty and Wendy at all, wanting to take over the organization of his uncle. And fast forward to the end of the season where Darlene and Wyatt come home and Javi's in their house waiting for them. And without asking too many questions, without too much back and forth, shoots them both dead in the head, which this show has definitely been doing a lot of lately in terms of killing off main characters and just kind of putting that exclamation point on the drug dealing trope of there only being one way to get out of the two main ways to get out of this, which is either dead in a body bag or locked up in prison. This is definitely going to be interesting to see how this plays out in the final seven episodes, which again is going to drop April 29th, 2022. And you know whose role I'm interested in a lot? That private investigator guy who seems to be digging around. And from what they kind of revealed, he was a cop, but had like a coke problem and used to break into the evidence room of his precinct and fucking snort drugs. But he seems to be like a bit too good at his job to even have been just like an overzealous cop. Supposedly he was like a really good cop before uh, getting kicked off the force and becoming a private investigator, quote unquote. So, yeah, I think he's definitely going to play a a bigger role. I'd be surprised if he doesn't. And some more layers are going to get peeled off of that onion. I feel like he's like working for somebody in a larger capacity. And I'm interested to see where that arc goes. But anyway, folks, that was my little recap and review and sharing of resonant moments for me from Ozark season four, part one, currently streaming on Netflix. Check it out. Gene Yus, a Kanye West trilogy, is a three part series, hence the term trilogy, right? Streaming now on Netflix. And let me shout out the writers because this is the Sponsored Podcast. And if I don't shout out the writers, who will? The series writing credits go to Kuti and J.I.V. Kuti, who is also responsible for directing and for filming almost everything, if not everything, that we see during this series. And here is the official synopsis. The lives of an emerging superstar and a filmmaker intertwine in this intense, intimate docuseries charting Kanye West's career filmed over two decades. I always wonder, by the way, and I'm sure I could find this out by a quick Google, but I'm just thinking out loud here. What exactly do those that receive writer's credits for a documentary do from the writing perspective? Because obviously there's no like script. It's not like a screenplay. You know, it's not a novel or a short story or even a nonfiction work or like any of that type of literature. Are they just branded as the writer though because they do bring the vision together and kind of like the story arc that the documentary go goes through even though that i feel would be accomplished by getting the director's credit so i feel like the writing credit there's something else that i just don't know about when it comes to documentary filmmaking maybe maybe they're writing like the or they're receiving the writing credit based on like the sequencing of how you're going to string together all this footage to tell the story. You know what I mean? I don't know. I got to look into that. Anyway, 
I'm not the biggest Kanye fan. I'm definitely a fan. Appreciate his music, college dropout, late registration mainly, hashtag, I miss the old Kanye. You know, his production, his rapping ability, whether working with ghostwriters or not. But I'm definitely not the biggest Kanye fan. You know, I'm not one of these folks that believe, you know, Kanye belongs in the Mount Rushmore of X, Y, and Z. I'm definitely not that. But I do appreciate him as an artist and I am a fan. I'm also, as a podcaster, I watch and listen to tons of podcasts and interviews on like any medium. And I also appreciate and like a lot of Kanye's interviews. And I've seen hours and hours worth his two plus or I think he did a, a three hour on Rogan, his multiple hour sit down with Charlemagne a few years back out on his ranch in Wyoming, you know, beyond just like the viral clips and stuff, you know, his interviews with Sway, you ain't got the answer, Sway, the scattered TMZ ones, et cetera, et cetera, drink champs. I definitely don't like when people write him off as quote unquote crazy. And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we put that or, you know, similar labels on people because it has the power to dilute them to just that when they're or they can be so much more. And I'm not going to be pretend to be a psychologist here, although I did minor in psychology and have a DSM manual sitting somewhere on my bookshelf still. <laughs> but um, clearly Kanye is going through some mental health issues, some of which he's been open about being on meds and gaining weight, being off meds, some of which get touched on towards the tail end of the series. But I don't know. I've always like in in listening to, you know, full length in context interviews for two, three plus hours. I feel like that gives you and not just in the case of Kanye, but that gives you the ability to synthesize what someone is trying to say, even if they're not the most articulate, even if they are scattered and all over the place, which Kanye definitely is at times. But that's if you as the listener, as the receiver wants to, you know, that's if you give a fuck. If you don't, then it's, you know, easy to be like, ah, whatever, this thing is crazy. He's not saying anything of substance. And again, in taking that approach, you do yourself with the service, I believe. But what I appreciate most about this series, which I thought was really good and put me on to, again, not being the biggest Kanye fan, didn't know like the ins and outs of his career, just knew more like higher level, you know, produce a ton of music for Rockefeller and Jay-Z. I didn't know he produced half of half or almost half or more than half of the blueprint album which is my favorite jay-z album of all time yes over reasonable doubt and i love in general bts stuff you know like behind the scenes type of things and it could be of anyone or anything so that made me appreciate this that much more because his boy cootie that you know he met early on growing up was into filmmaking or like at least at that point in time gravitated towards it and Kanye leveraged that desire in him to, in one aspect, elevate the perception of himself, Kanye at that time, who was still, you know, a nobody, quote unquote, within the rap game. But having a dude following him around with the camera made him seem like a somebody, you know, I would think. And also having the dual possible outcome of decades down the line, having all this footage to be able to be used to create this documentary, which is dope and in hindsight. And I think it shows a lot of different facets of the human condition of 
grinding and trying to achieve your dreams like Kanye was, like Cootie was in his own right. And all the folks we saw that we now know as household names, but we saw them early on in their careers, like Jay-Z, like Dame Dash, like Pharrell, like John Legend, like Common, like Talib Kweli, like Mostef, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we got to see like a lot of those like nascent stages of that era of hip hop. His relationship with his mother, Donda, rest in peace to her, was definitely amazing. And she was definitely someone you can tell that for all of Kanye's ambition and, you know, goals and dreams and hubris and ego, she was the anchor in his life that like kept him grounded, kept him him. And the impact on him of losing her definitely seemed like the impetus of the straw that broke the camel's back to the Kanye that most folks just demonize today. And to that end, it's also interesting to see how, again, within that same vein, but how like the media and just like folks around them in general pile on negatively when it comes to things like his affinity for Trump or his ego or the perfect example is when he started doing the Sunday service thing and people were damn near calling him a charlatan and trying to take advantage of people and what the hell is he doing now? But then once it started popping off and becoming popular, like the narrative switched to, oh, he's doing a good thing with his talent. You know, he's being positive. And I don't know, there's just like seeing that, there's just like something like so flippant and like flimsy about that. And I don't know, I guess I, I say that to say, don't put too much stock in haters and detractors. Even if there's some credence to what they may be saying or some of the things that they say, take what you can from it as like the receiver of those like negative comments and and bullshit and use it as constructive criticism and if you see do objectively see those things within you that you can correct you know do so like maya angelo said in a quote that i featured as the quote of the week in a recent uh, newsletter of mine spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe she said quote do the best you can until you know better then when you know better do better wise words right there and also on the flip side that's definitely not to downplay mental illness and issues that kanye and others are dealing and struggling with those are absolutely real things things that need and should be worked on by medical professionals psychological professionals spiritual professionals i'm just saying for us the audience the peanut gallery always seeming to need to chime in our two cents about how the other man or woman is doing it's it's a disservice to ourselves and someone within that vein as well is a quote that i wrote down here from the series and i remember if it was kanye himself saying it early on about the possibility of like him blowing up or if it was someone giving kanye advice and i think it was somebody giving kanye advice and i think that somebody was pharrell because i wrote down another quote some words of wisdom that pharrell gave him but I didn't attribute this specific quote to anyone, but it says once a nigga tells you that you're hot, still doubt yourself. And that just speaks volumes to staying hungry, not buying into your own shit, your own hype, which might behoove Kanye to uh, revisit those words of wisdom. (laughs) But there I go being the peanut gallery. Um, But yeah, and it reminds me of this saying which is you're never as good as they say you are and you're never as bad as they say you are 
And again, it's within that vein of keeping yourself humble. Now to something that Pharrell told him in episode two, when Kanye was pretty much going around, you know, trying to play like through the wire and, you know, songs from his first album to people to like get them to listen, literally to anybody and everybody that that would give him a second to listen. And, you know, showing that perseverance, annoying perseverance, by the way, but <laughs> perseverance nonetheless, and just like putting his music in front of people, which Jay-Z actually later tells him when he winds up uh, getting on a burst with Jay-Z, Jay-Z tells him, yo, I never even knew he could spit. See, uh, see, if he wouldn't have said nothing, he wouldn't wouldn't have been on this song. The, squeak, the squeaky tire gets the oil, which is dope. But anyway, going back to Pharrell, Pharrell tells him something really poignant, which was speaking to his craft and you know working on his craft and his ability Pharrell told him to keep the conduit between those two places clear for that energy to come through so like clear of all the bullshit clear of all the outside influence clear of all the outsiders of people at least this is how I you know took it and interpreted it of people that are going to be pulling you in different directions and trying to shape you and your narrative and your sound and your creative in essence right just keep the conduit between those two places you and that creative place keep it clear for that energy to come through and that was definitely dope shout out to pharrell man that's another one that gives amazing interviews and the last thing i want to share from the genius trilogy is something that cootie said at the end when he was thanking god which was the answers are always there when you take the time to quiet ourselves and listen to the angels you put in our lives. And again, that's Cootie. We shot all the footage, director, writer, thanking God at the end. And it was definitely a powerful statement to close out the series and just reminded me of something that I heard Elliot Hulse say once. And I actually have it within the acknowledgement section of my books, which is the concept of there being three types of people that you encounter in life. One is a mirror, which reflects positive and negative things about yourself back to you. Another type of person that you're, you'll encounter in life is a crystal ball, which is someone that's put in your life to show you what your future can become, whether it be good or bad. And the third type of person is an angel. And that type of person is put in your path to steer you or help you see a certain direction. And the way Kudi wrapped up the trilogy definitely reminded me of that. But shout out to Ye, who ultimately accomplished getting folks to know him as from Kanye West to Kanye to just Ye. He distilled his name to a syllable and people still know who he is. And shout out to Kudi and the 20 years of footage that he shot and kept and curated and ultimately helped bring to us. Genius. A Kanye trilogy is streaming now on Netflix. Check it out. Cobra Kai season four. Here's the official synopsis. Faced with a common enemy, Daniel and Johnny decide to start working together while Kreese looks to the past for a new ally of his own. And let me shout out the writers of the series, because again, this is the sponsor day podcast. And if I don't shout out the writers, who will? Josh Heald, John Hurwitz, Robert Mark Kamen, Hayden Schlossberg, Michael Jonathan Smith, Mattia Green, Alyssa Forleiter, Bill Posley, 
Stacy Harmon, Joe Pierulli, Luann Thomas, Bob Dearden, Jason Belleville, Kevin McManus, and Matthew McManus. This was another, I thought, really good season. Each season is better than the last. And of course, checks off the nostalgia box, you know, being a story that takes place in the Karate Kid universe, but also being a based on an 80s franchise and movie or series of movies. Rather, there was always some like cheesiness to it, but I feel like each season is a little less cheesy than the last, which definitely helps. And then you couple that with characters like Johnny's, which is very not PC. And then that kind of compounds and cancels out some of the cheesiness because he's like a little over the top with like certain things. And it's like, oh, shit, that's so hilarious. So, yeah, definitely, definitely an entertaining watch. And speaking of some of the funny things that Johnny said throughout this season, I wrote down a few. Here they are in no particular order. Johnny takes his team or part of the team that he's training because at this season, Johnny Lawrence's character played by William Zabaka, Zapka. And Daniel Russo's character, played by Ralph Macchio, joined forces because the old Cobra Kai sensei, John Kreese, played by Martin Cove, pretty much stole Cobra Kai from Johnny and teamed up with Terry Silver, played by Thomas Ian Griffith, which was an old war buddies of Kreese's. And if you guys remember from the Karate Kid, I think it was part two, was a sensei, the dude with the black ponytail hair um they kind of like manipulated daniel into going against like miyagi training and he didn't know the whole time he was actually on crease's side anyway he teamed up with that dude so johnny and daniel joined forces and dojos to compete against him and they had a bet or a gentleman's agreement if you will that if they won the tournament being daniel and, and johnny that cobra kai would shut down and leave town and the same applied vice versa. But anyways, during training and throughout the series, I just wrote down a few hilarious things that I found hilarious at the time. Might not be as funny now, although they might be. That Johnny said. So he takes his students to this like abandoned warehouse place where he's doing some of his training. And he tells one of them, don't breathe too much. There's black mold in the corner. And I thought that was funny. And still do. <laughs> then in speaking about the tournament rules changing, and them incorporating a women's division. He's like, what's this about a fucking women's division? They should man up and take a punch like the rest of us. <laughs> fucking Johnny, man. Um, oh, this was fucking hilarious. So Daniel's son in the series, he, play, he played a, a larger role this season, but in, it seems like they were like phasing him out because it was all like about his daughter in terms of like his family. It was like more about his wife and his daughter when it came to family stuff. And his son was kind of like a background char character. I thought they were going to like just like write him off, to be honest, or something. But anyway, he played a, a bigger role this season. And, you know, he was a younger kid, chubby kid in the previous uh, three seasons. And in this one, he apparently went through a, a growth spurt <laughs> in real life, as like child actors do. But Johnny Lawrence is in Daniel's house with his girl and they're all there for dinner. And Johnny goes to the kitchen He's like throwing a plate away or something like that. And Anthony LaRusso, the son, walks by and he's like, he looks at Johnny. He's like, what the hell? What are you doing here? And Johnny's pretty much like, I was invited. Who the hell are you? And then he kind of catches himself and he's like, wait, are you the son? And he goes, 
what did you do? Switch to Whopper Juniors or something? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then Anthony just responds, it's called the growth spurt, you dipshit. <laughs> and then there's another scene with uh um they try to like recruit girls because the league changed the tournament changed its rules and incorporated this like women's division and some like skills training and like stuff like that so it wasn't just straight fighting so you could accumulate points in different ways so to be able to compete at those different levels they had to like recruit females for the women's division and you know people that just had like different skills not just fighting you know like nunchuck skills like napoleon dynamite etc um i actually rewatched that the other day with with my wife and still holds up fucking hilarious but anyway so this like new girl joins the team and she introduces herself to everybody and and you know on her first day and she's like my pronouns are she and her and then johnny goes the only pronouns we use here are sensei and student and then she responds those aren't pronouns and he's like oh i'm sorry i meant quiet he just fucking yells at her <laughs> shit like that is it, it like balances out the cheesiness for me i don't know i like it i get a kick out of it then switching gears here i wrote some notes on the mom's character daniel larusso's wife which is amanda larusso played by courtney hengler she is the voice of reason in like all situations with Daniel, with the kids, with the other senseis, when she bumps into them, like in the supermarket, seemingly like breaking the fourth wall. And, you know, even for us to kind of like say, yeah, this shit doesn't make sense. What we're seeing here, fucking a sociopathic sensei that just beat up a kid and stuff like that. That shit ain't normal. You know, she's like always a mom throughout the series, even with helping out the girl with uh, that fucking beat up her daughter at the end of last season and like trying to help her with her social worker and trying to give her like motherly kind of advice you know being like the adult in the room what else what else um i have here robbie keen robbie keen's character which is played by tanner buchanan continues to be like in my opinion going to be like a breakout star from this series he definitely has like that it factor but there's this new kid in this season called kenny payne played by dallas young who also i feel has like that like star quality it factor and he kind of he plays the role of the kid that gets bullied by daniel larusso's son anthony which i spoke about earlier um he's like a new kid in school and daniel gets uh anthony gets kind of like peer pressured into like bullying bullying him with the rest of his friends and then that kid winds up like joining cobra kai and robbie's character kind of takes him under his wing and looks out for him and we see his character arc uh, play out in like interesting ways. And the show does a great job, I think, of like ratcheting up tension with things like this. For example, where Daniel LaRusso, who is the quote unquote, you know, good guy of the series, his son is the one bullying this kid who is just like joining Cobra Kai and learning how to fight for himself to protect himself. But that, you know, good kid that's being bullied, he's on the Cobra Kai side of things. And Daniel LaRusso's own son, which is, you know, the Miyagi-Do side of things. The quote-unquote good guys is the one responsible there. Or how Miguel's character, who is Johnny's Miguel Diaz, played by, I have no idea how to pronounce his first real name, X-O-L-O, Sholo Maridueña, how he starts getting closer to Daniel LaRusso, 
instead of his sensei who you know he's his number one guys his protege and johnny and then sam which is daniel russo's son uh daughter rather and like his number one protege starts getting closer with johnny then how robbie Keane's character tries to teach some miyagi though at cobra kai you know and he's like the number one dude at cobra kai but he came from miyagi though originally and he's like on the low trying to show some of his teammates some miyagi though you know defense karate and like i mentioned earlier tori tori nichols played by peyton list getting help from amanda larusso and the jo- the show does a interesting way of like ratcheting up tension in this way something else that was interesting uh, character wise in this season was hawk's character did a complete 180 he got by his old team um got like jumped and got his mohawk cut off uh he want he wound up like he felt like that was his like identity or whatever and he wound up quitting karate and then wound up coming back to karate but on the miyagi do side and robbie's character by the way has major fucking like anakin skywalker vibes you know like the number one dude on the good side turns to the to the bad side and then he's torn always between the good and the bad side it was interesting it was good it was a good season and it wound up ending with uh, a climax between terry silver's character and john crease's character where like in the beginning terry comes in and he's like this rich guy and this you know students of john john crease's students starts like gravitating towards him and he seems to have like the upper hand or whatever to crease but he kind of like patronizes crease and he's like yeah yeah, this is your class you know of course yeah you know i was just teaching them this this and that whatever but crease quickly checks him and you know reminds him that he like saved his life when they were in war and that's like a kind of dynamic within their relationship that can't change seemingly but then we see by the end of the season in the climax of the season how fucking warped this fucking terry silver guy is and he pretty much played some 3d chess with crease and wound up framing him and getting him arrested for assaulting stingray which was a a character from a previous season that went to go visit cobra kai he had been like kicked out he's like this older guy that wants to like hang around with them and like be down basically and terry cruz basically fucked up stingray in the dojo with nobody else around and then made it so that when the authorities asked him and he did so by like promising stingray like that he could be down with cobra kai or whatever but that when he came to in the hospital then and the authorities asked him who assaulted him he would say it was john crease so then at the end of the season we see john crease getting arrested and terry silver just completely unraveling and then it's revealed that cobra kai which wound up winning the tournament on points with amanda larusso i'm sorry samantha larusso losing to her arch nemesis tori nichols by points and some shit that the the referee didn't call tori's character overhears terry silver speaking on the phone to the referee that he had paid off to make sure that they won and that's how the season ends dum 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 yeah it was a dope watch cobra kai season four streaming now on netflix check it out
goats doing goat shit, you may or may not have noticed that Will Smith is a name that comes up as an executive producer on the aforementioned Cobra Kai series. Once I noticed this, I asked myself, Will Smith, that Will Smith, the Will Smith, it can't be. What does he have to do with this? So I did a little digging and I will link to what I found in the episode notes, as I always do. And I found out that, yes, that Will Smith, the Will Smith is the or an executive producer of the Cobra Kai series. And here's why Will Smith and his partner in this endeavor, James Lasseter, founded Overbrook Entertainment, which is an American production company back in 1998. Fast forward a bit over a decade after that, back in 2010, Will Smith's son, Jaden, did a reboot of the 1984 Karate Kid movie, also named The Karate Kid. You guys may have remembered it was Jaden Smith and in the role of Mr. Miyagi, was Jackie Chan and Mr. Miyagi was the character name of Pat Morita. Rest in peace. However, prior to and for Jaden to do this movie, Overbrook Entertainment, again, Will Smith's production company, bought the rights to the Karate Kid franchise. So when the creators of this new Cobra Kai series, which are John Hurwitz, Josh Heald, and Hayden Schlossberg, wanted to make this show they had to get the okay and green light from overbrook entertainment as well as sony which overbrook has a working relationship with and as such will smith likely negotiated a deal to be an executive producer on the project shout out to will smith and goats doing goat shit out here buying franchises sheesh And that, folks, was episode 203 of the Spun Today podcast. Thank you very much for vibing out with me for a bit. Hope you guys appreciated it, got something from it. I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And I hope that you stick around for a couple more minutes just to listen to a few ways that you can help support this show if you so choose. And doing so definitely helps me free up time to create more episodes, create more content, write more, and hopefully and ultimately give you all something worth consuming. So please stick around to listen to a few of those ways that you can help support the show. Once again, I appreciate the fuck out of each and every one of you for listening. Peace. What's up, folks? Tony here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I enjoy producing it for you. Here are a few quick ways you can help support this show. You can support the Spun Today podcast by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. There, you'll find my merch section, where you can cop the iconic Podcasts vs. Anybody t-shirt in a wide variety of different colors and all different sizes. Also, if you're into cycling, you can cop the super soft, comfortable, minimalist design Spun Today Bike Club t-shirt, also available in a bunch of different colors and all different sizes. There are a few other designs of different types of t-shirts. Definitely go there and check it out, spuntoday.com forward slash support. It's the merch section where you can also get a dope coffee mug. I have coffee mugs with the brand new redesigned Spun Today logo on one side and the tagline that I end every show with on the other, which is start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. The mug is available in both black and white. 
because we don't discriminate here at the Spun Today podcast. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and check out the merch section. You can support the Spun Today podcast by checking out my writing. You can go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing and check out some of my free association writing, which is intended to be some cathartic free writing, but oftentimes doubles down as motivation for myself and others. At spuntoday.com forward slash short stories, you can read a bunch of the different short stories that I've written and actually listen to the audiobook versions of those short stories there as well. Another way you can help support my writing is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash books and checking out what I have in store for sale. Digital copies are available in all formats, whether it be Kindle, iBooks, or a different type of e-reader. You can also purchase paperback copies if that's your preferred reading method. Currently available, I have my nonfiction, Make Way For You, which is a collection of freely written thoughts that were curated and put together as tips for getting out of your own way. Also available is my debut time travel novel titled Fractal. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books to show your support. Support the Spun Today podcast by following me on social at Spun Today on Twitter, at Spun Today on Instagram. Please also check out and like my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Spun Today, and subscribe to my YouTube page as well. On my YouTube page, not only will you get these full length episodes, but you'll also get to check out some chopped up clips and bonus content. To get to my YouTube page, just search Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on the footer of my website. Also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening. It really does help. The Spun Today newsletter is available to each and every one of my listeners absolutely for free. All you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. What I'm going to do is brighten up everybody's least favorite day of the week by delivering five curated things within my weekly newsletter every Monday at noon. You're going to receive a photo of the week, a recommended podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts from an array of varied interests. I cherry pick the very best ones so that you can check them out. I also share a video of the week, which can be anything from a tasty recipe to a dope rap battle to an enlightening TED talk. I also share a quote of the week. And finally, for my fellow wordsmiths out there, a word of the week so that you can step up your vocab. Again, this curated list is yours absolutely free by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and dropping in your email address and you can unsubscribe at any time. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address and you'll get the very next one. If you want to help support the Spun Today podcast financially, you can do so by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. Here you find a few different ways that you can do so. You can shop on Amazon, but first go to my website, spuntoday.com forward slash support. Click on the Amazon banner, which will take you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Another cool way that you can help support this show is through Patreon, where you can set up reoccurring donations to my podcast, whether it be $1 per show, $2 per show, etc. And depending on how much you choose to pledge, you will receive some Patreon perks in return. Things like free writing pieces, free bookmarks, free digital copies of my books, etc. Again, my Patreon link can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. You can also set up similar reoccurring payments via my Ko-fi page, 
And if you want to send a one-time happiness bomb donation, if you will, you can do so via my PayPal link. Again, all of which can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. If you're a fellow creative, a cool way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast and actually be part of the podcast is by filling out my five-question questionnaire located at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Here you'll find the five open questions related to your craft, your art, what inspires you to create, what type of unrelated hobbies you're into, and what motivates you to get your work done. You can choose to remain anonymous or plug your website and your work. And once you submit your questionnaire, I read your responses on a future episode of the Spun Today podcast. It's completely free at no cost to you. And what I like to say about it is that if your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.